Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector, a podcast about Smeedy Motorbikes. In this episode, we review the water park race that was the Portuguese Grand Prix. I'm your host, Matt Polanski. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MattPolanski1 and Twitch at GameStopper0734. I'm joined, as always, by the creator of the Red Sector, Josh Wilson, who you can follow on Twitter at WilsonJ194. We gave Bunner the night off tonight for his university work, so... Be sure to go follow him on Twitter at BunnoGP underscore and Instagram at BunnoGP. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RedSectorGP. So, Josh, how you doing tonight? Yeah, very good. Um, recovered from the flight. Uh, anyone who doesn't know, uh, I attended the Portimao Grand Prix. Um, it seems like I brought the weather with me from England for for most of the for most of the weekend. Yep. Uh, while it was blazing hot in most of England, it was it was just a typical overcast grey day in um, in Portugal. So yeah, not the best for me. But other than that, yeah, it was a really good weekend. Um, never been to Portugal before. That was lovely. Uh, and the 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 circuit, the track is beautiful. It's I, I dare say it's one of the nicest. It'd be up there for one of the nicest ones there is. Uh, with Magello, probably. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, recovered and can't wait to kind of talk about the events of the weekend. Yeah. So I know uh, Simon Patterson was saying about how you know the um, it didn't seem like the attendance was real high. Did you feel like that? Yeah. Was, was think... there a lot of people there? Um, I'm, I, I saw the. I saw the uh, the kind of snapshots for each day. Obviously, I think Friday and Saturday only garnered about eighteen thousand each, mm-hmm. and Sunday was like forty three, forty four, which isn't great, really. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of Premier League level attendances. Um, you know, for like a Man United game, we'll probably get all of that combined. Um, it was quite. Especially Friday, of course, it's practice day, so you expect it to be a little bit quieter than usual. Um, but Saturday, I think, was a similar attendance level. Um, it didn't seem all that busy. The, 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 the issue is, and this is where, obviously, you could lay the blame on it um, a little bit, but at the same time, again, the problem is people would have probably bought tickets before the weekend anyway. But it's only the main grandstand that isn't, that that's covered, like all the other grandstands are open air. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking maybe people had not bought tickets until like they got a solid like locals possibly had not bought tickets because until they got a solid idea of what the weather was going to be like. And when they saw that it was raining all weekend, they probably didn't bother because the if they weren't that bothered about paying the premium of being in the main grandstand grandstand, um they probably just wouldn't have bothered anyway because like I said the main grandstand was the only the only grandstand in the whole circuit which is covered by a roof. Um the rest is open air. So maybe that but the Sunday was busy. I mean Moto three was fairly busy. Uh and then MotoGP was was as busy as it got, obviously. Like the main grandstand was fairly full, um, full of Portuguese fans, full of Oliveira fans cheering and clapping as he went by and things like that, which was good to see. But 
to be fair, that's a problem. As soon as MotoGP ended, it just started to filter out. I reckon it half half the people left before the Moto Two race. So, um, yeah, and it just obviously it just kind of slowly filtered out. Even people from the mo- in the Moto Two race started filtering out as well. So, yeah, it's disappointing, I guess. Were you able speaking of Miguel Oliver? Were you able to see the uh, big ride he did with uh, all the Portuguese fans? No, so that was on the Thursday, I think. That's, oh, was that it? Was before I turned up, but I'd heard about it. Obviously, he had a big kind of escort all the way up to the stadium. But they, they're mad. Yeah, they're absolutely. As you can imagine, Portuguese fans in Portugal, it's crazy how, how, how how big they are. I saw so many cars with 88 stickers on, like Oliveira stickers. And um, on the on the kind of waterfront where I was staying, there was like a, they had like a little MotoGP festival, so, so to speak, on there was a mini stage that a Lincoln Park tribute band on, which were really good, actually. Um, Hybrid, huh. Theory, Hybrid Theory, they were called. I don't know if they were. I've heard of them. Yeah, they were actually really good. Um, but anyway, they also had like a little Miguel Oliveira fan truck that had a little shop in it and stuff. And yeah, it was um, it was good to see how, how passionate the fans were. Um, just a shame there weren't all that many of them, really. Right. And uh, like once you were in the track, like what, what was there to do other than watch the race? Was there anything? Um, not, not a whole deal. There was outside the track. You could see it from the grandstand on the you know, outside the track. Uh, it was like a stunt rider on. He did a little bit, which was quite cool. But I think what ruined it a little bit, I mean, this is from a British point of view where there's a bit of a drinking culture, is it was a dry stand. So mm. if you wanted if you wanted a beer, you had to go outside the grandstand, pass ticket in, to, so you had to scan out, scan the tickets out, basically, then walk all the way halfway down the grandstand. And it's a big grandstand, um, so you had a lot of walking to do. And that's where you could get your beers, basically. Um, but because it was raining, it was kind of an open air. So there wasn't really much point. Um, <laughs> and of course, you weren't allowed your beers back in into the circuit. So you had to drink them out there in the rain. So not really many people doing that. Um, huh. And that was about it. And another point as well is the merch situation. Now, mm-hmm. I remember at Silverstone last year was poor. It was piss poor. Um, and I think part of the part, apparently partly the reason was due to Brexit, but I th- I'm calling bullshit on that simply because it was exactly the same at Portimao. It was piss poor, really bad. It was it was shocking. It was exactly the same as Silverstone, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I knew it wasn't going to be a popular race or very well attended, so they didn't bother. Maybe it might be different at Mugello or or Assen or one of the big the big tracks, but. Uh, I'm hoping so because it's just not good enough. The merch stands. I mean, you can't buy. There was a there was a World Superbike one there as well, which I found a bit bizarre. Um, <laughs> but and it only had like Kawasaki stuff in it, so <laughs> of course. Yeah, um, but it, it was it was just a bit poor. Like it was the same again, where you had you had like a big Mark Marquez one, a big Rossi one. Mm-hmm. But other than that, all the others were really small and you couldn't get much team merch. Like I thought, oh, let's see what Suzuki stuff they had. And it, unless you wanted some Mia or Rin's 
branded stuff, and there wasn't really that much stuff to pick from anyway. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't really getting much. So yeah, it was. It was pretty poor. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I wasn't best too pleased. Yeah. So I found the uh, Simon Patterson tweet. Uh, Friday was fourteen thousand seven hundred ninety-seven. Saturday was seventeen thousand four hundred fifty-three, and Sunday was forty-three thousand six hundred fifty. So yeah. for total, it was like seventy-five. No, 76,000 fans. Which is kind of what, I don't know about now, but it's kind of what you, you'd see at, expect at a Man United game at Old Trafford. Right. For for a one game that lasts an hour and a half, two, two hours. Two hours, yeah. yeah. And this was a, you know, this was a whole day event and they could only manage 44,000 or whatever it was. So, again, I don't know, maybe, maybe the weather had something to play in it. Maybe people were waiting um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe this, I, I didn't know t- until I was leaving anyway, because it cost me that much to get to the airport, but I don't, I don't know if this would have played to it, its strength, advantage, and you'd expect more people because of this, or you expect less because of this, but Monday was a bank holiday in Portugal, Freedom Day, uh... which why my, my taxi cost more getting to the airport, which was a bit of a, bit of a um, surprise, but I don't know if that meant people just had plans that weekend. You know, like um, going away to see or going away to other parts of Portugal or seeing family and stuff. Right. Or, if you'd, or, or if you kind of expect it to benefit um, to benefit the, the attendance and people turning up because it's a bank holiday. I know in the UK, traditionally Silverstone has been on the August bank holiday that we have. But the problem mm-hmm. is with the August Bank holiday is you have a lot of festivals that weekend. You have a lot of other stuff going on. A lot of things kind of plan around August Bank holiday weekend. Um, and that's why I think that's one of the reasons why Silverstone's or the race has been moved to the beginning of August to try and attract more people. Um, because then they know that people are having to decide between going to the MotoGP in Silverstone or going to uh Reading Festival or Leeds Festival or Creamfields or one of the big festivals or something like that. So maybe I don't know, maybe 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 it had something to do with the, the bank holiday Monday, I'm not sure. Um but yeah. It, it, I was expecting more people there, but at the same time, in the grand luckily being in the grandstand, it's where the majority of people were for the MotoGP race. So it didn't feel all like you would you there was anything lacking from it. And like I said, I was seated kind of opposite Oliveira's um, shed or garage. Um, and that was good to see because you got so much applause. Everyone waving the flags and he came out and he, he kind of acknowledged the fans and waved to the fans. And he did that kind of, after the race, he took a long time and he took his time going around the track as well, which was good to see. Um, yeah, waving to all the fans what they were in the grandstands and things like that. So, yeah, it, it could have been a lot better, but at the same time, being in the grand, the main grandstand where a lot most of the fans were, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell that the, there was a low attendance from the grandstand, if you get what I mean. So one of the things you did while you were in Portimao was you interviewed Eddie O'Shea 
who is a Red Bull rookies rider. What was that like? Yeah, that was quite surreal. So I just I shot him off a message, just being like, um, you know, by any chance, I know Red Bull rookies are at Portimao for the opening races. Any chance of a, a quick interview? Um, and he, yeah, he was like, he was happy with it, and we managed to find a spot to meet up, which was out with the wind and the rain for the most part. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we had a little chat. It's only it was only a brief chat, but it was a good chat. Um, very down to earth. I mean. The fact he's 15 is very mature for his age and you know, quite charismatic and um, well-mannered and well-spoken. Um, and it was just a brief insight to how his, how his weekend was going um, or, you know, and his, uh, how he was hoping to perform. I think we interviewed him on, I think it was a Saturday. It was just before Moto3 qualifying started. So, yeah, about Saturday lunchtime. So... The interview will be in the, hopefully, you know, hopefully with it, if, if everything technical goes to plan, it will be in this episode. Uh, I don't know when about, so if we're, if we're going to put it in right after this bit, after I start to stop yep. talking or on the end. Um, either way, it'll be in there. Um, so it, it, it's about eight minutes, 10 minutes long or something like that. But yeah, it, it's just a brief intro. We're, we're hoping to get him on for a proper interview. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's not too in depth. I just thought I'd grab a quick word with him um so yeah uh i'm not the best interviewer <laughs> it must be said it was all off the top of my head um and we was filming right next to some guy on a moped who kept shuttling like toilet roll so every now and again he kept like <laughs> popping back on his moped and we had to like stop the recording a few times and it it was quite funny so you might hear a moped in the background but anyway it was yeah it was good um it was really interesting um and I can't wait to have him on for a, a proper full podcast episode at some point. Um, yet to be arranged, but yeah, keep keep an eye out and your ears pinned for that one. But yeah. Yeah, so with that, here's Josh's interview with Eddie O'Shea. Hello, uh, it's Josh speaking from the Red Sector GP podcast. Here I am in sunny Portugal. Um, well, I say sunny. I brought the weather with me from, from the UK, I think. It's been absolutely... Um, bouncing it down all weekend and I didn't pack any winter clothes or anything like that so yeah luckily Primark saved me and I managed to get a fleece so yeah ideal thank you Primark but anyway less about me uh, and more about uh, Eddie O'Shea the Red Bull Rookies Cup rider who's currently with me right now hello (laughs) Um, yeah so I thought I'd I'd grab a quick word with him uh, you know while we've got nothing to do it's his second full season. Uh, I managed to grab him quickly while he's uh, got got nothing to do. Um, he's been swamped by paparazzi, so we had to stop the recording. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so Eddie, if you want to kind of take us through uh, how you think the, the, the day's gone so far, the weekend's gone, um, what you kind of what you're thinking, you, you know, your tenth for the first race. Um, do you think you're how do you think you're going to perform in these races, considering you know, the conditions have, have favoured, you know, Brits who are used to kind of these rainy, wet conditions, but yeah. do you think, are you hoping it stays that way? Are you hoping it, it kind of dries up for the race later in the afternoon? Uh, yeah, so for this is my best qualifying of the of the first two seasons uh, for me and the rookies, and um, yeah, it's gone it's gone all right. Um, I, I hoped for better, we should say. Um, 
because I felt really strong in the conditions, but in uh, FP2 I had a bit of a bit of a high side on the entry of turn seven. So um, it, it I'd, li I'd like to say it wouldn't knock me a little bit, but it, it definitely did. I, I didn't have the same feeling going into qualifying. Then yeah, we come up P10, so it is what it is, and I'm I'm fairly happy with it. Uh, and yeah, we'll see what we can do in the race. Um, it's it's going to be a long long stint in the in the wet, but. Yeah, so I am. I don't mind if it dries out, but I would like it to, to stay a little bit damp um, as it's just, it will just, I'm P10 in the rain, so I don't know how I am in the wet, in the dry here at Port Mayo. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to, well, progress forward in the in the race yeah, yeah. and hopefully get into positions. Because of course, um, let's say if it's a damp race today and then on the Sunday it's, it's a dry race, um, do you, is there a change in setup or anything like that, uh, or do you just have to kind of wing it, so to speak, and just adapt to the conditions? Uh, well, the only thing we change is they open the if if the weekend's been fully wet all weekend and then we have one race in the dry. What they'll do is they'll open the pit lane for eight minutes, so we'll have three sighting laps, and we can choose to do them three sighting laps or not. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, that's it. We just get an extra sighting lap, and the, the grids stay the same. I've stayed P10 unless obviously someone has a Miss misfortune in the first race, and I go a position, but no, I should start P10 and I'll do an extra sight, and that, and that's about it. And then we'll, we'll see how it goes in the dry. Ideal. Um, so, with that in mind, then uh, P10, uh, a, a good qualifying position, position for you. Um, so, building off of last season, whereabouts did you finish last season in the standings, and in terms of like qualifying, how did you usually perform? Last season it was it was so tricky because obviously we had the likes of um, of Holgado yeah, and Alonso yeah. and it was it was just it was insane the pace it was it was the, it was even quicker than the year before with Acosta and all of that yeah. so the pace was insane last year and uh, yeah so my best qualifying position last year was thirteenth in um, in the Saxon Ring yep and then uh, my best position was 13th also so to qualify p10 in my first race and i'm i'm not over the moon about it is it's a good sign so um yeah well, I'd, yeah i'm i'm happy i'm happy yeah fair enough have you got any any tracks you're looking forward to because i think are you at Hareth next yeah so next week you're straight into Hareth, yeah, yeah. um and then going forward again saxon ring places like that are you, is there any way you're looking forward to to go into and racing at yeah, definitely. Um, my favourite track I've ever been to is Saxon Ring because I prefer my lefts a lot more to my rights and um, a bit like Saxon Mark Ring. Yeah, yeah, the Saxon <laughs> Ring is just left, left, yeah, left. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and it's also very. It's got a lot of like straight, so it's good for the lighter riders. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to Saxon Ring. But obviously, Finland is the first time we go to yeah, Finland. Yeah, yeah, it is so, actually. Um, That'll be an unknown for everyone. Yeah, yeah. That'll and, be interesting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Finland. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you racing at Silverstone this year? I'm not even sure. Are you not? That's no, a, no, no. That is a shame. But um, are you are you basically are you mainly like a European tracks? Um, do you do any flyaways, or is it all is it all Europe? Uh, no, it is all Europe. Um, obviously, Finland's an overseas yeah, it's, type of Europe, you could, so you can count that. Yeah, you could count, count A few years flyway. back, they went to uh, America, but it cost Red Bull too much money. Yeah, too so, much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you stay in Europe. Makes sort of sense. Um, so, of course, you're, are you 16 currently? No, or 15. 15? Wow, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, so you can't even ride a... Uh, uh, in the UK legally, no, no, you can't even ride can't a moped. Anything. No. Jesus. That is crazy. You also, um, you also can't go on track days in England. I can't ride a six. So if I wanted to ride any sort of track day, I'd have to come over to Spain. That is, that is madness. That yeah. is 
yeah, I can't get I can't get my head around that. But anyway, um, so currently with the 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 rules changing for Moto Three, it's now eighteen, yeah. I believe. <clears throat> so that would mean you've got a few years in Red Bull rookies now to kind of hone your skills. Are you kind of happy with that? Would you rather have been given the opportunity next season, Jet Ten and Sixteen, going to Moto Three, or are you kind of a bit, are you kind of a bit more? happy that you, you know you, you've got a few years to kind of learn, learn your trade and cut your teeth in in Red Bull rookies yeah so um, it's my second year in rookies it's my second year in the, the junior world championship as well so um, I'm hoping to get a third year because it seems like it's not so much of a, a big thing now to get a third year and um, yeah so I've got this year another year and then a year after before I can go to Moto3 when I'm 18 so that is the aim and uh, well we'll see what we'll see how it goes I've got no, I'm not, I'm no plans I've not signed any contracts I've not done anything I'd, we'll just see how it goes for now yeah it's an interesting one like we said it, it, being 15 and having to wait till 18 at the earliest now getting Moto3 you've kind of got to hope people move on but in a sufficient manner like I mean Scott Ogden obviously he could move up at any point, because um, because especially if he does well this season, he could move up. He could move up next season. Um, but back in the day, that uh, well from last season, that if it was the same rules, that would have benefited you massively. But now you're still going to have to wait a few years. So yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, of course, long-term prospects. Of course, your Red Bull Rookies Cup KTM is that the kind of route it looked like you'd maybe go, um, unless you were kind of from somewhere else but is that kind of the at the moment is that looking like if you were to ever reach MotoGP is that the kind of kind of box standard route at the moment unless something changes and someone yeah. would come in um, well if it seems like if you win the, the Rookies Cup it's like Io and um, yeah uh, they, they, they all, slot you into they all they all look look for you but um, it doesn't seem the case with like David Alonso so it's not, oh, yeah, it's yeah. not like a it's not like a particular thing but um yeah, we'll see. Obviously, there is a, a mainly British team at the minute, being the Michael Lavity Academy. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And I've not signed. Yeah, like I said, I've not signed any contracts. I, I don't know anything about anything for my future. Yeah. So I, I, we we can hope I go to Moto Three in in some team, and I've I've not got my eye out particularly on any team. It's just yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, um, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to. Uh, to, to come and have a brief interview um, it's starting to rain here so I think we're, we'll, um, we'll we'll stop it there and uh, I'll let it get let, it, let Eddie get back to it um, so yeah good luck for race one and race two tomorrow thank you very much cheers thank you yeah so now we're gonna hop into moto three to start off with a podium of Sergio Garcia German Masia and you uh, Yumi Sasaki. God, that name always screws me up. <laughs> um so Josh, what were your thoughts of this race? Because you know, you were there. Did you I, you know, clearly you couldn't see the whole track, but what were your thoughts about this race? Um, yeah, like I said, it, it a bit more detail on the, the track itself. One like negative I'd give Portimao is is the screens were terrible. Like there was one each side of the paddock, the pit stand. There was small. I I don't know if the, someone forgot to put the brightness up on them because you couldn't see anything that was actually <laughs> happening on the screens. So it's like if anyone's ever been to a circuit, if you've been to Silverstone or anything like, you know that you don't really know what's going on until the pass yet on the mm-hmm. wherever whichever part of the track you're at. 
you kind of don't know what's going on. You have to rely on either some loudspeakers with commentary on or a big screen. So I, I didn't have a big screen and the commentary was in Portuguese and I don't know Portuguese. So <laughs> um, I was kind of blind to it and it's going to sound really stupid, but because of the fact that I was on the main pit straight and it's quite a an echoey um, track, for half the lap at least, you're going to get the sounds of the mm-hmm. engines and it's loud, very loud. And the big grandstand again is, a, is an echo chamber in itself. So that just amplifies it and makes it even louder. Um, so for like half the lap, I couldn't hear anything anyway. So I couldn't really have commentary on. So I was like right. watching. The, so I was watching the race on my phone <laughs> while being at the track, watching the race. So I just paid a lot of money to watch the race on my phone, basically. <laughs> um, but it's the atmosphere. Yeah, I know the, the things we do uh, for the yeah. sport. The things we do. Um, yeah, so it it's it was weird, and, and because the crowd, it was quite busy for Moto Three as well, because um, mm-hmm. everyone was obviously waiting to watch the main event. Um, my signal wasn't great, so oh. it was like all pixelated and stuff, so I couldn't really oh. make out who was who. So yeah, for 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 Moto Three, it was from what I saw, it was it was an exciting it was an exciting race, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Out of the three, it was the most exciting one to watch, actually. Um, really? You no, know, I'd say so because it it was back and forth. It was as it, as Motor Three seems to always be, especially at Portugal, because of the way the track is. I guess it, it helps it helps the the battling between the the riders, and it was just really it was an exciting one because it it was obviously Motor Motor GP. I think we all knew about five ten laps in who was going to win. Um, right. Moto Two was a bit of a cluster, but Moto Three, we didn't really know who was going to win right until the end. So, yeah, it was it was a classic Moto G Moto Three race, and it was it was enjoyable to watch. And uh, obviously, trying to watch out for Scott Ogden and Josh Watley as well, keeping an eye on them. Um, so that kind of took up a lot of my time to make sure I could see them and see how well they were doing. Um, but it was good, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, again, it it, it's a, it was a typical Moto3 race, um, and it was a good... I would all wear this. It, it was... It got the excitement up, and it built excitement for, like, MotoGP and Moto3, but it ended up being probably the best race of the three anyway. Hmm. So... <laughs> oh yeah, you had uh you figure you had uh Garcia, Masia, Sosaki, Anchu, and Guevara in their own little pod. And then you've got uh Tatai and Mino together, and then you've got this pod of Fagia, Kelso, Barrera, Rossi, Suzuki, and God. Ogden. Yeah. And it, it like so it had to be like one little pod, another pod, another pod, and yeah, the, that's how it. And that's the thing with Portimao, yeah. be, because of the like the way that final corner is where you come downhill and then up the straightaway, it like if you get a run out of there, and then down that straightaway, there's it, this is one of those tracks where the slipstream is really powerful in Moto Three. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it's like this, uh, 
Magello, Barcelona, the the slipstream is unreal. So like you said, you know, it was one of the things, you know, when that first pod came past, it was like, okay, who's going to be in the lead at the end of the straightaway? And they're probably going to have it through the whole lap. And then once they come down the straightaway, it's just like, well, who's going to have the lead at the end of the straight? Yeah, it was. So, it really was like that. And I think that's one of the things that makes Moto3 at tracks like this interesting because you have that like unknown of like, well, who's going to get the lucky slipstream coming down the straightaway where like, you know, Jerez this coming weekend is more of a, you know, winding track where, you know, it's more reliant on moves, not so much a long slipstream. Mm, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like you said, um, Ogden finished 13th. Um, Watley finished 26th. Um, I, I find I felt, I felt bad for Ogden because in qualifying, mind you, qualifying for Moto 3 was wet. Um, but he was, he seemed to be doing so well. And it, like the track was getting drier the further they went into qualifying. There was points where he was almost setting. Or I think he did yeah. have the fastest lap in qualifying. And you just kept seeing like the timer. You're like, can this be done? Please just you know, turn the timer off and finish it already. But yeah, he was able to start high and then he just, he dropped. Yeah. I mean, qualifying was, he, he could have been on the, the front row of the grid. Um, mm -hmm. if, if, if he didn't get caught up by the yellow flag from Garcia of all people. Yeah. Uh, which was quite frustrating because you could see the track developing because he'd got to like, the top of the timesheets and then he dropped down to like 8th or 9th um, and you could tell he, he was in that position where he could have got another lap in and he could have mm -hmm. put himself near the top but unfortunately it wasn't to be um, which was a shame um, and then Josh Watley obviously made it through to Q2 which was brilliant but yeah. unfortunately pushed a little bit too hard Uh and and ended up uh, crashing out, which was a, a shame. And he was, you could tell he was really frustrated with himself, like massively. Um, but he made it through to Q two, so that's a step in the right direction, definitely. Especially in them kind of conditions, you can see, as they always say, with with challenging conditions, you can kind of sometimes when it's wet, you can kind of see who's got the skill. You know, you can see who's got the the talent in in the wet, because especially in somewhere like MotoGP and and whatnot, you the, the kind of the um the bikes themselves are neutered really, and it's more on actual skill of riding and the confidence. So that it was really good, and it, it should give him a confidence boost. But again, in the race, he was uh, a bit unfortunate with his long lap penalty. But at the moment, you know, you got to remember Josh Watley's only he's only sixteen, um, right? One the last of the sixteen year olds that'll join. Um, he's got he's got a few years on his side, and he can. He can afford to kind of have mistakes, and he can afford to, he can afford to to languish at the back a little bit, um, as long as he's still fighting and battling and getting experience, which is what he's doing, and um, as well as that, he can, he can, as long as he's finishing races, which is is what he's doing. That's that that's worth its weight in gold, really. Um, oh. And of course, Scott's just taken to it like a duck to water, really. Um, He's just improving session on or or kind of race on race really and getting more confident and picking his speed up and 
You know, well, I, I don't think it'll be long until we see him battling at the front, really, if the bike permits it. Um, but it's looking in terms of the championship, it's looking like the two, the two challenges to um, Acosta last season are the two that are going to be fighting it out this season for the right. championship, Fodger and um, Garcia. Yep. Which is kind of you kind of see that coming with the way that both performed last season. Um, obviously, Garcia keeping in touch with with Acosta until he had the accident. Was it at uh, Texas, I think? Um, I think it was Texas. Maybe was it? Um, I keep thinking there was something at Aragon. Or maybe Aragon. Oh, yeah, I think it was Aragon, actually. Yeah. Um, and then that put him out there and kind of fodged that like late charge, which and he took over the reins of challenging Acosta. So it kind of makes sense mm -hmm. that them two are, are in there for the for the fight at the moment, but it's early days and um you know, Messiah's there in third place, but he's he's already like thirty points back on Fodger and Garcia. And yeah, it's he's... We're five rounds in. So Yeah, he's twenty nine um, points back. Hmm. So um, um it it's yeah, uh but then again, you got people like uh, Dennis Onju. He's he's finished every race so far, and he's he's made a good show of him, good showing of himself. Really, he's been quite consistent. Apart from apart from Argentina, where he finished fourteenth, he's actually he's been in the top five every race. Um, mm -hmm. So he, he and he, we we saw flashes of his talent last season. Um, so I do think he's he's one to watch going further into this season. But then you've got like Mino, who's already won a race. And then Sasaki, again, he DNF the first two, but he's and I, I I I know the first one was very unfortunate. I can't the second mm -hmm. one. I can't remember what happened in the second race with him, but I know he's of course he's finished third, fourth, third, Argentina, America, and Portugal. So he's one to keep an eye on. I think Sasaki, um, definitely, and I think the Japanese riders will probably be knowing. Um, that it looks like Agora, Lash Chantra, one of those two could be on the way to um, MotoGP next season, mm -hmm. which would mean there's a seat going. And if if Agora, if the Idemetsu team loses a a rider, you're probably looking at the likes of Sasaki, Toba, Suzuki, um, in the in the hunt for that spot. And at the moment, it's looking like it'd be Sasaki. So. Um, definitely wants to keep an eye on as the championship goes on. Mm -hmm. So who are you going for for rider of the day? Um, oh God. Uh, let's have a think. I'm going to go with uh, Carlos Tatai. He's on that CF Moto. Uh, but mind you, he finished eighth, but when you look at where his teammate finished in 12th, yeah, he's he's proven that he's able to, you know, take it. Mind you, the CF Moto is like a Chinese or a KTM, apparently. What was it? Yeah, mm. um, it's some other, it's some company that KTM owns, just like um, Gas Gas and Husqvarna. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. he's he's had good wins before. I think he, you know, got the most out of this race. Was able to, uh, you know, bring it home. Yeah. So. 
Um, Algo is someone I've just mentioned, uh, which was Sasaki. Get mm-hmm. a third place again. Is that consistency has got? You know, it says a lot. You've DNF DNF the first two races of the season, and there you are in, um, in well, it's seventh in the standings at the moment. But you know, if like I said, if he keeps that, if he keeps the uh, consistency up, I, I think you'll see him slowly move up the order. Um, same with Dennis Onju, really. So yeah, I'd give that. To, I'll give it to Sasaki. I think. Yeah, so I just realized I was looking at the championship standings. Uh, Tatai finished sixth. His teammate, and I, I thought this was weird, uh, Artigas finished 20th. <laughs> As I was looking at it before, I'm like, wait a minute, Artigas didn't finish 12th? He finished lower than that. And then I looked at what Taba had open, so. <laughs> uh, hopefully that um... you know, helps solidify my pick. Uh, Bono sent in his riders of the day for Moto3. He also went with Sasaki. Uh, he said, really impressed with his racecraft and overall riding. Nothing too rash and not too soft. Gets his elbows out and has great pace, solid ride. So, moving on to MotoGP. We had a podium of Fabio Quattararo, Johan Zarco, and Aleish Espargaro. And this race... I feel like we have to start talking about this race with the Juan Mir Miller thing because that incident caused so much stir up below. Because, like you said earlier, you know, with the MotoGP race five laps in, it was pretty apparent like, oh, Fabio's running away with this thing. You know, mm. he finishes the race 5.409 seconds ahead of Zarco, but. And in a uh, post-race interview, he said he sort of slowed down because he realized, like, oh, I've got this much of a lead. I don't need to push that hard anymore and risk falling off. But if he was able to, he probably could have finished this race eight seconds down the road. So, you know, early on, you sort of saw, like, oh, you know, Fabio's gone. Zarco was about a second ahead of um, Miller and Mir as Mir, because Mir finished or qualified second, and then he dropped back one, and then Miller was coming, and you know then coming down the front straightaway, Miller tries to go up the inside, can't get the bike stopped in time, tucks the front end, and just wipes out Mir. Were you able to see this when you were there? Yeah, I was. Uh... Like middle of the grandstand, so of course you, you kind of stand up as you all go past, and yeah, straight down the um down the straight. I couldn't really see in a way who was involved, um, as such. The confirmation was kind of on the kind of. I was so high up in the grandstand, you could kind of see the back straight where the if anyone watches F one where the second DRS is on the back <laughs> straight, and I I saw Fabio go through. Um, and then I saw Zarko go through, and then I was like, "Oh, well. <laughs> and then, and then me. you didn't see like, blue or red." Yeah, I don't. I was like, oh, <laughs> "God damn it!" Like seriously, <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was it it was it was so annoying, really. Um, because like I said, I think when you obviously Fabio overtook me in the in the uh, on the third lap or the fourth lap, um. And he was gone. It was a it was a dominant display by Fabio. It was I think he won here last season. Um, 
he crashed actually because there was two party mm -hmm. races last season, weren't there? Well, he, there yeah. was there was one in the beginning and then one yeah. in the end of the season, and I think he won the one the at the beginning. One. Yeah, yeah, because it, that that was the one where Ringe was chasing him and fell off. Yeah, he was, but that was another dominant display. Mm -hmm. If I remember, that was a that was. Yep. Yeah, he commanded that one as well, and then obviously the second one wasn't really an issue because he'd already won the championship by that point. So yeah, it it wasn't really, it didn't really matter all that much. But it, yeah, that was such a uh, a dominant display. But anyway, I'll kind of touch on that in a bit. Um, so he was off in the distance. Um, and I thought it, I found it odd with Mia. Um, that it was dropping back so quickly, but. I wasn't too concerned, more because you know Suzuki's renowned or known for having like late race pace and looking after its tires. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, it it could come back at, at, at Fabio later on in the in the race. But then the problem, of course, you had was he seemed to be getting reeled in. So I think did Zarco take it uh, overtake him? Zarco um, overtook Mir, and then Miller was catching him slowly. Yeah, so Zarko overtook Mir and that was that, and then Miller was reeling him in, mm -hmm. um, and ah, it was it was annoying because obviously Miller Miller's obviously going to try and overtake him when he can, because the sooner he gets right. the job done, the sooner he can clear off into the distance after Zarko and maybe then after after Fabio. But I just find I just think why why are you trying to rush? Because it was a right. it was a, a very much a dive bomb move down the inside, like a, like a win it a bin it kind of move, um, and it just felt that early on into the race he didn't really need to do that, because um, it was clear he was catching him, and it was probably going to be in a couple of laps he would have got him anyway, right? Um, so it was quite frustrating to see, um, really, and again frustrating on both ends because it's not done it's not done Jack any any good, especially with. The rumours of him maybe, well, the rumours of him being demoted to uh, Pramac or maybe even going to LCR. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not done done himself any favours with that. Mia obviously is trying to look. He's look at he's looking at trying to be a championship contender. Um, that would have been a good result. Let's. I'm going to assume he would have finished fourth. I mean, Elish might have caught him, but I'm I'm going to assume he finished fourth. Um, so that was a good 13 points or whatever it is. That's gone instantly. Yeah. And you can't really be, you know, in this, in this championship that will probably be tight and go down to the wire. Can't be afford to be slipping up um, this early on. And obviously it wasn't any fault of his own, but he's still going to be frustrated because that's 13 points gone, which, you know, would be on your control of, of slipping away. Um, and you need to have like consistency in this championship, and especially like Fabio going and absolutely smashing it, getting a twenty-five points, going to the top of the standings uh, in the championship, and 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 Bastianini crashing out, and uh, that was a a big a big opportunity for me that's that's been missed now. Um, so it's quite frustrating because um, it's not often. Let, let's not forget, it's not often that you find Mia on the front row of the grid. Right, start of a race, and we know that the Suzuki's usually go forward in a race rather than backwards. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking it was wet, obviously during the race, wasn't it? Uh, during the, um, during qualifying. Yeah. 
Um, it, it was drying because yeah, uh, there were some riders that went. I think it was Q1. They spent most of Q1 on wet tires. And then in Q2, they I think Zarcos did nine laps on a set of soft soft. Mm. And that was it, like his whole qualifying. It it was strange because I don't know if, if that I'm inclined to say that for Mia that well, they went with a quali setup and for Rins they went with a race setup. Um mm. and that's why you saw such a, a massive gap between them both when it came to actually qualifying performance. Um because it wasn't really a characteristic qualifying from Rins. Unless I've missed something and he made a massive mistake. But I, I from what I remember he, he just didn't didn't have the pace. But Well it, there was um there were some issues because like um Benyaya didn't even set a lap time. Mm. Yeah. So because yeah. I think he I think he tried to go out on a set of wets or a set of dries and it hadn't dried all the way. He crashed and out, he, didn't he? Danielle? Yeah, he crashed and then by the time he got back he wasn't able to set a time yeah. again. But Rins, I don't I'm, I, I don't remember him having a crash or a fall. I just don't think he had any pace. Um But at the same time it, it, it would make a bit of sense if that's what had happened. If if I mean his qualifying time was five point nine off the lead off uh Mark Alex Marquez who said who yeah. was first in Q one. So it's possible that he tried to I can't, I don't remember what Q one yeah, I, I can't remember seeing anything, but, but he, he did make out of Q one. He he wasn't really that fast in the wet, it seems, but mm-hmm. I'm 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 a I'm I'm kind of theorizing. Uh, that that was a possibility that they said to Rins, all right, well, let's put you on a race setup um, because obviously Park Ferme, you can't change any anything afterwards, can you? Uh, as soon as you right. go out for quali- as soon as you go out for qualifying, that's you on a on a on whatever setup you you've got, right? Um, so maybe they went right. Rins will have you on a race setup uh, for qualifying, and maybe for Mia. Um, because he was already through to Q two automatically, maybe they said Mia will put you on a on a qualifying setup. Um, you know, it was like a test because we know that we know that that Suzuki's actually all that great in qualifying for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, and the race pace is what what kind of is their strength. But I'm thinking if maybe they they know that the fact that if if they purely focus on qualifying, they can't they can't really be strong in a race. And maybe we saw that in Mia when he started to drop back. Whereas he saw Rins fly through the fly through the order, going from twenty third right. to fourth. And of course yeah. that, that's partly talent and partly because other riders just weren't having a good day. But that could be because because he was on a on a race setup rather than a qualifying setup. Which Mia was on because I can imagine they're they're going to be at Suzuka. They're going to be experimenting with different things, aren't they? They're going to be trying out different things. They're going to be saying, "Look, let's go and let's go on an all-out quality setup and see how we do in a race with a, an all-out quality setup." Converse, um versus an all-out race setup. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my little theory on Suzuki. But um, 
Yeah, for 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 Mir, it's it's frustrating. For Miller, it's definitely frustrating. Probably the nail in his coffin of his Ducati career. I mean, if the rumours are to be believed, it's already over for him anyway at Ducati because Martin's apparently already signed, and they just yeah, wait to announce it. Um, yeah, that's what the rumor mill's been trending mm, out. So if you're going off that, then it, it's already over for him. Um, we just need to find out where he's going. If he's going down to Pramac or if LCR's on the table. But again, if he's LCR's on the table, and that's kind of musical chairs, because that means someone's leaving from LCR. Or, well, obviously Alex Marcus would be going. If, so, you know, is he out? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've believe that because I'm sure Mark Marquez wouldn't be totally um accepting of that. Well and um uh, Miller even came out and said that like those rumors aren't true. Um that he's had no talks with Honda. Um I didn't know this apparently Akiyo is his manager. Oh right. and yeah. Akiyo said that he has had no contact with the L C R now mind you, you know Mid managers and riders aren't going to start, you know, spreading stuff themselves. They're going to try to shoot any of this down. But, you know, if it's out there, there's apparently some something to it because it, you know, churned up. But if it actually uh, has legs is another thing. Oh, possibly. I mean, you saw Alex Marcus finish seventh and give his brother a good showing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which that was doing- a great battle. Yeah, and you don't really see that from Alex Marquez, so maybe there is a little bit of a rumour to it. And Alex has realised I've got to start putting in some results and showing I'm, it's worth keeping me on. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. But um, who else to talk about? Who's next? Uh, well, you got, yeah, Aleish getting the podium. Uh, I think because... You had uh, Maverick finishing 10th on the other Apulia. I I don't know if this is that the bike has finally got become good or that Aleish has just blended so well with the bike that now it's good. Um, Probably a bit of both, really. I think we know that Aleish is kind of the, the leader of the, the two riders. He's, they're going to build the bike around him, really. Um, oh, yeah, they call him the captain. Exactly. So I think Vinales is just struggling. I, I think what what you've got to realise, and it, and it works in other motorsports as well, is you can't really build a machine. You know, it, basically, as humans, we all have a different riding style or driving style, and you, you, it's very difficult to build a machine that, that, ben, that can like kind of complement both individual riders' styles. Um, you know, Yamaha build probably build the machine to the machine to Fabio's liking. Um, Mark Mark obviously Honda have always built it to Mark's liking, and they've kind of tried to go away from that. But it's it, I'm sure it's very very difficult to build a machine, especially if you've got two riders that have totally different like riding styles. It's not really possible, I don't think, to build a machine that's suitable for both. That's probably why. I mean, Suzuki is a strong at the moment because, well, they have a strong all-round package. But I think they've got two riders who have a quite a similar riding style. Mm. Um, a bit different. They, they both ride differently, of course, but 
it's probably close enough where the bike can work for both of them, or we can see it. But the likes of Aprilia seems to be the other direction, because Alish seems to kind of get on well with that bike, seems to be one with that bike. Yeah, mm-hmm. Vinales just ca- cannot seem to make it work for, for a full race distance anyway, which is obviously what what gets you the points. Um, he just cannot seem to get it to work for him um, at all. And it was it was kind of the same at Factory Yamaha. Yeah, and it's it's showing that it may be that Aleish and the bike have blended because you know Maverick's still coming into his own on the bike. You know, being that Aleish has been there, you almost expect at this, or you would hope at this point that they Aleish should be setting personal bests with a bike mm. yeah that he's been on and been helping to build for this long where you know Maverick comes in has to learn the bike but it was his first time on a V4 so he, he's having to learn a whole new bike and yeah I, I'm hoping I'm hoping Aprilia can you know do well this season yeah, and everyone was saying like, "Oh, well, once once we get back to Europe, that's where things will really start to show." You know, and I mean, if this is what Aprilia can do, I think yeah, I don't think they're going to be a manufacturer's champion or you know team champion or anything like that. But I think this could point them in a, in the right direction for you know the progression in the coming years. Yeah, I agree. Um... Like I said, team-wise, I think it'll be difficult for them to compete in the constructors or the teams um, because you need both riders to kind of take part in that. But on a on a, a rider basis, Alessia and Aprilia are, are still well in this championship fight. Again, we're only five rounds in, but you know he's got the consistency, it seems, to be able to finish. Um, high up each race, and that's what you need. And it, it looks like they've got the confidence, and they've got, they've got the bike and the rider to do that. Um, it's just on a team level, they're not quite there yet with a second rider. Um, Vinales has always been a bit of an enigma because it seems like on his days he's he's incredible, but it's just so difficult. It seems like everything, literally, the stars have to align for it to to happen. Um, but maybe maybe it'll come good at some point um, later on in this season uh, or if he's still there next season it might come good um, you never know I mean he might, he might he might have to play the long game in a, in a sense because Elish is getting on now I think he's a, is he the third oldest rider on the grid or the second oldest now um, uh, I think he's well, Davi's the oldest. Davi, um, yeah, Davi would be the oldest, and then it would probably be Marker Zarko. I think I want to say it's Alicia's second oldest. Oh yeah, um, Alicia's. Yeah. So it, I, I mean, he's thirty-two now, Alicia. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if he wants to have a cycling career, which he possibly does, because he probably he's, will. He loves his cycling, but I mean. I know we can you can do cycling longer than you can ride a MotoGP bike, but he's probably got to think in the next few years of 
chucking it or retiring and focusing on cycling. And, of course, Vinales is 25, I think. So he's still got... Or 26. He's still got loads of... He's still got a fair few years left in him. Um, right. So if he if he sticks with Aprilia for a couple of years, he could find himself as, like, the lead rider. And, of course, when you're the lead rider, you have more say, more influence over how, over how you want the bike to be. Um. So maybe he's just got to have a bit of patience, I think, for now. Um, and just keep up the results and don't do anything stupid like last season, like trying to blow up your bike. Uh, right. It should be all right. <laughs> yeah. A um, couple quick uh, more sour notes we'll talk about. Uh, Martin and Bastianini falling off, which just crushes them in the standings. I mean, you, you look at the standings, you got Fabio on 69, you got Renz in second on 69. Alay won in third on 66, and then Bastianini at 61. Um, mm. Martin, I have, I'm scrolling for this I'm one. Still scrolling. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, he's 13th. Yeah, up there, he's going to be not, maybe not fighting for a championship, but he's going to be in like that top five area. And he's just had a horrible start to the season where Bashanini, it was, well, see what he can do. And, you know, he's led the championship at, tw- at two points a season and then falls off here and it drops him down to fourth. I mean, he's only six, five points back. So it's not completely over, but it just, it would kind of suck to see him go down. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't have the best qualifying. He didn't have the best start, and then he just you know bends it. I think like eight laps in. Mm. Yeah, laps. It, was a, it was a um, yes, a bit, a bit frustrating to see from Bastianini really. Um, but at the same time, I think he's punching well above his weight in a way because mm-hmm. he's on a. Don't forget, he's on a, he's on a, a satellite bike. Fair enough, it's a refined 2021 bike, which is still arguably one of the best on the grid. Right. Um, but at the same time, he's on a satellite bike in a team that's totally brand new to MotoGP. So, um, obviously, that uh, when it comes to riding on the track, it's all about the rider. But um, I think to be doing this well is, is a testament to him you know his talent and how good that bike is um no one expects a, a kind of satellite rider to be in a championship fight really it's not something that's been done before um it's not something that a lot of people th- think can be done winning a championship on a fight or on a on a satellite bike but uh, everyone has a little everyone has an off um and it's it can probably take solace away from the fact that it wasn't a strong weekend really anyway. I mean, if you want to, if you're gonna crash out, you kind of want to crash out at weekends where it's not really going well anyway, and you're probably not gonna get much. You don't want to be crashing out at weekends where it's looking like you're gonna be on the top three, like like Bang Naya in um in Mugello, where he was mm. he was first, he was leading, and he crashed out. You know, twenty five points gone instantly. Um, so 
yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's a tough one for him. But Martin looks like uh, <laughs> it's, it looks like a rider who's just signed a contract. That's his form for me. <laughs> That's the form of of a man who's just put pen to paper. Um, right. But having said that, I mean, he's having to get to grips with that 2022 bike. Um, you know, uh, he got second in America. Um, was it America? No, Argentina, sorry. He got second yeah. in Argentina, just lost out to um, Aleish. Mm-hmm. But that's really been his highlight. Um, obviously, Bandelik crashed out. Qatar. Now, Qatar, did he crash out or was it a mechanical? I can't remember. Um, uh, no, he crashed out. Well, he got taken out by Pekka. Ah, yes, yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Um, so, kind of unfortunate from there. Yeah, taken and out then... by Pekka and Qatar, crashed out in Mandalika, uh, second in Was he Argentina. racing in Qatar? Was he racing for anything? Was he in I... the... <clears throat> I, he was quite low. If I remember correctly, he wasn't really... Was he out in the wilderness? Know, I, I mean, no, by the eye, I think... he was... I think he was in like that top five, top ten area somewhere in there. Yeah, I was. I was going to say because, um, because for uh, oh, well, let's have a look see if I can see because I know Banyai wasn't didn't do well, did he? Um, no, eleven laps in. Does it say where the DNF from? No, it doesn't. Um, no, you'd probably have to go into the lap there. by lap. Yeah, uh, never mind. But anyway, it's it's not yeah, it's not a good start from from Martin. But I think obviously they can take kind of solace again in the fact that 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 twenty two bike that kind of the Pramux are on, um, that that the the factory bikes are on isn't really up to speed fully. Um, of course, yes, you had Matt, um Zarko do well this. This uh, import him out, and Miller was looking to to maybe finish third uh, before crashing out. But I don't know. I, I to me it seems like a rider who has signed a new contract, who knows he's not going to be at Pramac anymore, whose head's probably not in the right place at the moment because he's been distracted by the massive pay increase he's probably got, <laughs> something like that. Um, so yeah. Um, interesting one for that one. Yeah, so um, I pulled it up in Qatar. They were battling for eighth place. Eighth, yeah. So yeah. not not really set in the world. Or, or shouldn't be shouldn't be battling for eighth place, basically. Yeah. Um, but who are you going for for rider of the day? Well, obviously I'll touch on it now. Um, for me, Rins, what a performance that was from twenty third mm-hmm. on the grid up to fourth. Shame he couldn't catch a leash, but I think he ran out of steam by that point. Um, which is fair enough. You've come from twenty third on the grid. Um, right. That fourth place was just yeah, incredible, absolutely incredible. Kept his head on. You know the the rins of last season would have been that probably the first corner something. Um, but the rins of twenty twenty two, he's found peace. I think he's definitely found peace with previous seasons. Um. He's gone to this one with a new mindset, a new outlook. Um, probably been told that his his job could be on the line if he depart performed like he did last season. So he he's probably kind of realised he had to. But 
I think at the same time he's 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 in he's in such a different place, a better place. And he's just getting on with riding. You know, he's riding mm. smart. He's not just riding fast and aggressive. He's riding smart and it's paying off. His con his consistency's been incredible, I'd say. Um and and the same with Suzuki's consistency, I guess. It, that bike allows them to be consistent, but also competitive at the same time. Um, mm. And yeah, it's what a ride that that was a for me. That was a ride. I think I tweeted it, but that was a ride of like a future champion or a champion in waiting. Um, right. If it wasn't for Fabio, kind of still in the limelight of of a commanding race, and I think I kind of need to eat humble pie on that front um, <laughs> in a way because I did say Fabio would have like a season like Mirad's last season with just not being there or not not being really competitive enough but I need to kind of change that to I'm still saying it's going to have a season like Mia's but it could be more like 2020 rather than 21 Um, so just being good enough to win a championship really because even though that bike's not the best on the grid you know Fabio he knows what tracks he can win at on that bike. And if he can, you know, Portimao, if he can then win at Jerez, which is, which he would have won at last season if he didn't have the arm pump. Um, if he, if he can win at Silverstone, if he can keep pulling out these results where it matters, then yeah, we could see Fabio a back-to-back world champion easily. I can easily see it now, but it's going to have some tough competition. Cause I think Rins is, is, uh, is looking good to give him a good fight. Um, Aleish as well, like we said, Aleish has got a package where he can he can chip away. But I think really, it's kind of just them three on their own. Um, Mia, of course, I think Mia's still in it. Because um, it's not really like Mia to crash out. And again, it wasn't his fault. So I think you could add Mia into that mix. But yeah, for me, uh, Rins was rider of the day. Honourable mention to Oliveira. He finished fifth. It's home mm. race. He give, give the crowd so much cheer about, um, you know. So, and and that KTM's just a bit, bit, bit shit, really. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. He's a uh, honourable mention to 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 Oliveira there, but it's got to be Rins for me. Yeah, Bono felt the same way, um, saying that an obvious choice. However, you can't ignore that ride. Unbelievable first lap really got his head screwed on this year and being sensible in taking what's best and realistic. Keep this up, and he's a serious title contender. So uh, I am going to go with Aleish, um, you know, to get the podium. You know, yes, without the whole Miller-Mir thing, he probably would have been down a little lower. But, I mean, you know, what is that? To finish first, first you have to finish? Oh, he... Yeah, he stayed on it, was able to get the podium. So, um, yeah. Lacious I think, partner, um, so. I think them two will want me to go to more races because when I went to Silverstone, yeah. Fabio finished first and Alish finished third. So, um, yeah, we're starting to see a trend here. Yeah, I think I think Bono was. I think Bono said he'd, he'd happily fund me, fund my kind of travels so, to every race. So, so far, so far, the two races you've been to have been a Fabio win, an Aleish podium, and a Jorge Martin crash. Yes. 
Yes. And also, I um, both races, someone whose surname begins with M is taking out someone else's surname who begins with them. So. <laughs> yeah, Marquez on Martin. Yeah, yep. and and Miller on me. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, moving on to Moto Two, we have a podium of Joe Roberts. Chelsea Vietti and Jorge Navarro, uh, which the website, if you go onto the website, it has it listed as two separate races. So you have to like actually change the what race you're looking at, because otherwise it says Jake Dixon won the race, <laughs> which I saw on the app later that night. And I was like, what oh, is yeah. that? Because like, I. Yeah, I was like, go home, app, you're drunk. And then when I got on the website, it's like, oh, they have it listed as two separate races. But yes, Joe Roberts, the American wins, first American to win an intermediate class race in 32 years, and the first American to win a MotoGP since 2011. And something I had to look up because my first thought when I heard that was, well, is he the first American to win in a European motorsport since then? And no, uh, Logan Sargent won in um, 2020 and 2021 in Formula 3. So Joe joins a very tight-knit group of Americans to beat, you know, or to win a European motorsport. But, you know, we, with this race, you got to go to what happened in that race one as they're mm -hmm. calling it, um, you had Kenneth out front. You had um, Cameron Bobier in second place. And then I forget who was in third at that point. Uh, uh, Igura. It was Igura. Yes. But yes. You, you had those three come across start finish line into turn one. And then as they came into turn two, all three of them just went out and we had been hearing, well, you hadn't heard because you were there, but on the broadcast, you could see little spots of rain and they were waving the white flag with the red X for the rain flag. But it was one of those things where, you know, you weren't on camera. You couldn't tell how bad it was raining. You just knew that the flags were out and it became an issue of or becomes an issue of should they have called the rain early and been like proactive or yeah, did was, they do the right thing and wait and then to see was, who uh, we, yeah, I was going to say it's a tough one. Um, it, yeah, the question you, you pose is, like I said, a tough one, an interesting one, because like I, again, I was there. Um, if you didn't know already, but I was in the main stand and I could not have told you it was raining. It just looked overcast. It looked miserable, but it it must have been fine rain or not really much rain. But it begs a question: it must have been bad enough because obviously you saw half the grid nearly fall off. Right. Um. But. Uh, and you could see the kind of flags being waved in the distance. I think turn, let me count them, turn one, two, three, turn four, I think, where it's a hairpin. Like, yeah. I could see flags being waved there. Um, 
but it wasn't like it wasn't heavy or anything. So I, d- I think they've just been caught out, um, caught by surprise, really, because I, I think I remember that on the commentary they were maybe saying something about that area. It's where like it's where water flows through over the track, maybe or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, bizarre. I I initially thought that maybe there was an oil oil like someone's bike had started leaking oil or something onto the circuit. Well, and um, one of the things that the commentators were even saying after, like in the red flag part of the race, was that that part, uh, or like the, the lap before, riders were setting fastest laps at that point. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't like this was something where like it was one of those things where it's raining in one part of the track, but not the other. This was something like they came through there perfectly fine, set fastest laps, and then as they came through the next time, it just was wet enough to wipe out half the grid. Yeah, it was bizarre. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it did come out as like one of the one of the bikes had, had leaked some oil or something onto the track. I mean it sounds like it hasn't been the case, it, but it, that's what it looked like. It looked like something out of like Mario Kart or something. Well well, a previous Moto Two race, I can't remember when, but that's that happened, didn't it? It's one of them, the videos where you see pretty much everyone go down at the same corner. Because I think, I think yeah, I think some, a long, that was years track. ago. Yeah, um, but it was it was strange. Of course, it got red flagged, and well, at first, of course, the the red flags were instant, and it, it's never good when there's when you see a red flag. Um, well, I say instant. It, t- to me, they were instant because by the time I'd realised what was happening, there was a red flag. So, <laughs> right. Um, of course, you saw the smoke in the distance um, because from where I was stood, you couldn't or sat, you couldn't see turn two directly. Okay. So we didn't really know what was going on. Like I said, the big screens were were shite, so you couldn't rely on them to find out what was happening. Um, so yeah, there was smoke in the distance, and it, it was yeah, you couldn't. It was just red flagged, and it was a bit like, oh no, like, uh, what's happened? Like, who's is everyone all right? Um, has there been a big pile up, things like that, but yeah. Um, but what I noticed as well is the wet, very at the track, even though you could kind of make out what was on the screen, but not really that well. But the wear showing replays of it well before like BT Sportwear and things like that, right? Um, so, I guess at that point, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of assumed that there was no one injured or no one in like a bad way if they were showing right. replays of it at the track. But then I, I don't know if I think maybe someone on Twitter said it was a bit reckless because it wasn't confirmed at that point that you know everyone was well, top. All they, all they knew on at least the world broadcast that I was watching was that the riders were conscious. They weren't sure how badly, you know, some of them were injured now. Like we've seen Kinnett has gone and well, I think he has like a broken arm and broken fingers or something like that. Um, but at the time, all they knew was that all the riders were conscious. And then it, from that point, it was, well, what's next? What do we do next? And they apparently like MotoGP jumped the gun too soon because they're supposed to allow There's a five minute rule. So you have five minutes Mm. from the red from a red flag 
You have five minutes to get back to the garage, get on your second bike if you want to go back out. Well, there's apparently a line that they added a few years ago where it's unless there's underlying like some weird circumstance. Unless basically like unless someone says different or some vague. Well, it's it's more like unless there's like an uh, like the term act of God. Oh, really? You know, like. Like it, that's not the exact termage, but that's how I understood when I heard about this rule. It's basically like somebody can't crash, cause a red flag, go back, get on another bike, you know, and then go back out. But if it's something like this, where the rain cost half the field to crash, they could extend that time limit. But MotoGP mm. didn't, and they were like, "Well, no, the five limit time, five minute timer's up, and we're going racing." Maybe that maybe that plays into a little bit the um the crowd. Maybe the new the longer it was delayed, the more people were likely to leave. I don't maybe. know. You know, maybe. You know, but you know what it is. You know, MotoGP Dorna, it's entertainment. That's how they see it. Right. They, 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 uh, they want to they want to get things moving as quick as possible. Right, you know? and that's. I mean, that's probably one part of it is like their their thought is and on top of the whole entertainment thing, they're also going to have teams on them like, well, what are we doing? Well, yeah. are we going to restart it? How many laps are we going to do? And they ultimately, yeah. yeah, they ultimately settle on a seven minute or a seven lap race. And, you know, if base, they basically said, if you can't make it back in five minutes, you're done. And part of the problem here is some of these teams don't have a second bike. Mm. So they, yeah. you know, like riders like Bobier, his bike, they showed the, um, they showed him sitting next to the bike. The whole bike was destroyed. There was no way he was going to be able to fix it. Yeah. You had riders like, um, Agura, they were trying to put his bike back together. Um, but certain riders just were never going to be able to, go back out so yeah uh, i get that um and it was quite i think there was either confusion or there was a mistake because on the race restart the woman at the front i don't know if you remember seeing it um but the woman at the front on the race restart literally had the red flag um up in the air and it was like she was waiting for more bikes to turn up like she didn't realize that the bikes on the grid because I can't remember how many bikes there were on the restart, but not that many. Seven? Uh, no, sixteen. No, yeah. so there oh. was going to be seventeen, and somebody didn't make it to the grid. I'd have to find it. So sixteen, but she was waiting longer. They were all there, ready, ready to go, and she right. was still there. Like, oh, where are the rest of the bikes? And then the well, two and... like MotoGP officials on the side were like that. They were like. Shouting at her to move out the way to like Delaporta oh. didn't make it to the grid. Yeah, it was all a bit of a mess. Like that at that point, because it, it was funny because uh, on the commentary, Bert was even like, "And we're just waiting for the flag lady to get out of the way." Yeah, <laughs> but they so yeah, the second race restarts with sixteen people, and in the first lap. So the new starting grid is, for the top three is Dixon, Roberts, and Vietti. And Dixon goes down in that first lap of the restart. 
Yeah. How were you feeling at that point? Oh, couldn't believe it. I, I just again being there. I, I didn't. You don't realize what you're seeing in a way. You know, it's one of them where on the TV broadcast you you see it clear as day, but in the race itself, you're like, "Is Jake Dixon crashed? Nah, he can't have crashed." And oh, it was like, God, it it just. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating being a being like a British fan of Moto Two, or just in general yeah. Moto GP. But um, it's it's like opportunities like that they don't come around often. That was his that was his chance. All mm-hmm. pretty much all of his competition was out of the race. Um, who did you have realistically that would have challenged? Do you think Joe Roberts would have would have won uh, if Jake I... crashed? I don't know because uh, Roberts at his highest had like a four, almost five second gap. So it's possible. Maybe so. But yeah, who's going to know? But yeah, Robert or uh, Dixon going down, but Robert inherited the lead. And for the next seven laps, when I say I was a nervous wreck, I was a disaster. I was sitting on the ottoman in front of my couch with my hands in my knees, just like swaying back and forth, like, please don't crash, please don't crash, please don't crash. My kids thought I had like was having a panic attack. Like was it, I was you, a wreck. U.S. National, uh, national anthem intensifies in the background. Uh-huh. The, the American flag slowly, slowly materializing. <laughs> well, yeah, towards the end of the race, but for like those first six laps. Up until that last lap, I was just like, please don't crash. Please. I'm like, come on, Joe. You got this. All you have to do is not screw up. And for Dixon, it's been kind of hard the past couple of seasons. Oh, yeah. But all, all credit to him. You, you know, you, you make your own luck. And he was in that position, Joe, to do that. Um, And like we were saying earlier, we were joking about Cambovia. We're probably watching things, and that should have been me. Like, I should yeah. be the first American and- winner in... Everyone else was everyone else was thinking the same thing because Bobier was what he started pole. He was in second place when before he crashed, and like there were memes afterwards where it's like, "Hey, come and Bobier is going to be the first American," and it's Joe Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> and it, like that's what it was like. And I like I've been as hard as I you know as anybody on Roberts you know because he was the first American to go over to Moto Two. And Bobier and now Dylan Kelly, but you know, y- you almost expected like, oh well, Bobier or not Bobier, Roberts has been there the longest. He should be the one who's doing well. You forget Bobier is like, yeah. I think four years older than Roberts has been. He, Robert or Bobier was in Europe years ago, went back to America, and then came back to Moto Two after Roberts. So Bobier has the more experience. So it's understandable. Like when you think about it like that, it's like, well, yeah, Bobier should be doing better. He, it sh- probably should have been his race to win. But, you know, it was cool to see Roberts, you know, the first American to go back over there from Moto America to get that win, you know, to, to see the hard work he's put in finally pay off. Yeah. There's, um, there's tears in the, in the um, on the podium. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Um, that national anthem ringing out. It's uh, 
It always makes you get. I don't know why it triggers something in you in you a lot in America. As soon as you hear the national anthem, it's like it's just like uh, America. Yeah, with the eagles flying and guns and yep. going off and that. But yeah, it was good to see. It was heartwarming actually. It's it's refreshing actually, not to hear the Spanish anthem on the top step or the uh, Italian, you know, or the Italian, or the French. Just it's nice to hear like an American anthem actually on the top step. That was quite quite sweet. Um. But yeah, fair play to Joe Roberts. Um, I don't actually know, and I was there, but I have no clue who finished second and third. Uh, um, Vietti finished second, and Navarro finished third. Which the Vietti thing, it it's the whole restart thing with Vietti kind of like irks me the wrong way because before the uh, crash. He was like, I think, down in like 13th place or something like that. Like, he was not doing well this race. You had to know with that Vietti result, that phrase, mission failed successfully. That's like, yes. that springs to mind because he was just having a shocking race and he, he's and actually then, benefited probably from not being at the front. Well, and he benefits also from the that whole five minute rule being basically, you know, how MotoGP handled it, he benefits from them taking that route because if they would have waited or extended the time limit and riders like Agora or, you know, anybody else whose bike was like damaged, but not damaged severely, if they could have like gotten a bike together, you know, replaced a few fairings or whatever and got back out there, he probably wouldn't have finished second. But now they've ba- MotoGP has basically gifted him 20 points, and now he's got 90 points in the championship. Well, that's the kind and, of ride that—that's kind of result that wins you a championship. Yeah, if you're if you are give you half the field crashes out, you know you're having a bad race, but you're able to benefit because half the field crashes out. You know he's got 90 points now. Iger's in second on 56, mm. like. MotoGP, unless he just falls off the face of the earth for the rest of the season, MotoGP probably just handed him away the Moto like the Moto Two championship. Yeah, and it's disappointing because I think like the, this opening round, I was saying it was going to be a a really close, intense title fight, um, and it's not going to be like this kind of. It wasn't dull, but it's not going to be this kind of two horse race that last season was in Moto 2, but it seems like already it's a one-horse race. I mean, again, right. we're quite early days. Vietti could easily DNF the next couple of races, and it could be, you know, Agora could win a race and would suddenly back into it. But um, to have that kind of lead five rounds in, it's it's never a good sign, really. Um, uh, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Again, we got Jerez this weekend, so... I don't know. Uh, the pack could close in on him, or he could extend his lead further. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see on that one. So who are you taking for rider of the day? <laughs> uh, I mean, God, it's such a. It was like half a race. It was. It just wasn't. Well, I'll read out Bunno's while you're making a choice. Bunno goes uh, Gonzalez. Had some real bad luck this year through no fault of his own at times and was nice to see him get a solid result. Gonzalez finished the race in fifth place. So um, I 
am going for Joe Roberts. Don't <laughs> care that he's the winner. America all the way. Yeah, I when you sent you posted a, a <laughs> clip of the national anthem and I started to swell up from like all this emotion of like yes. Did you stand up? I did. I stand and I saluted. Damn it. You have to do that every time that's played. Like it's yes. just a law. <laughs> so who are you going for? Oh God, um, it's so difficult to pick a ride of the day, really, because it's it just feels so false. Uh, I, right. I know that that feels harsh on Joe Roberts because it was a well earned win from from what he did, but. I don't, it's so difficult to pick one. It really is because, um, oh god, uh, I'll give it to Marcel Schrotter. You never really see his name up there, but he managed fourth. He's German, and you don't really see Germans do well in MotoGP in any class. So, um, yeah, I'll give it to Schrotter. Now going into MotoGP fantasy, uh, taking the top three for the Portugal Grand Prix. We have K Rider uh, in first. Second is Kids Are Mean. And third is Honey's Honey. Taking the top three for the Portugal Grand Prix. Leading our league overall in first place is our own Josh Wilson. Second place, Evans Longshots. And third place, Andy for us. So, um,. If you are new here and don't know, we have our own MotoGP Fantasy. Just go to fantasy.motogp.com. Search Red Sector. We're the only one that comes up. Uh, join our league. We now have, uh, I believe it's over 60 at this point. Oh, over 70. 76 people in here. So uh, it's never too late to join in. Have some fun. See if you can beat us week to week and beat us overall in the uh by the end of the season i'm currently in 37th bono has dropped down to 52 so yeah it's it's all up to josh now to lead us but uh that does it for MotoGP fantasy um that's gonna do it for today uh please be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at red sector gp be sure to follow myself at matt polanski one on Twitter and Instagram, and GameStopper0734 on Twitch. Follow Josh at WilsonJ194 on inst- on Twitter. Follow Bunno at BunnoGP underscore on Twitter and BunnoGP on Instagram. That'll do it for today. And with that, keep the throttle pinned. Oh, yeah.